It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. This is part three of a critique of the book, The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. I've quoted him directly on occasion. He says, When given the right encouragement to think for themselves, people very often turn out not to believe in God and to lead fulfilled and satisfied, indeed liberated lives. Page 22 of the book. Dawkins is also famous for having said, although atheism might have been logically tenable before Charles Darwin, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. My response is, liberated from what or from whom? Dawkins means liberated from God. But has God oppressed them? I don't think so. He's given them life and breath and sustenance, and he's placed them on a planet where life is possible. What Dawkins is describing isn't freedom. It's uninhibited autonomy. While we understand freedom is to have the power to choose without restraint, We need to understand this danger. Freedom becomes chaotic without restraint. Freedom operates best within the confines of truth. But it is not freedom from God. It's from your own conscience. Boundaries are foreign to uninhibited autonomy which ultimately means that truth is being sacrificed on autonomy's altar. Dostoevsky says when this happens, everything is permitted. So morality is also sacrificed. Allow me to quote two scientists of equal stature to Dawkins who have a diametrically different perspective. First, James Tour, a professor in the Department of Chemistry at the Center for Nanoscale Science and Technology at Rice University, author of more than 140 technical research articles and holder of 17 U.S. patents, he says, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will bring you closer to God. More and more scientists are discovering that Darwinian evolution is not consistent with their own research. 
One such scientist is Michael Agnor, professor and vice president of neurosurgery at State University at New York, located at Stony Brook. Agnor says, I was raised as an agnostic and grew up pretty much as a scientific materialist. The book, Reflections on the Existence of God by Richard Simmons III, record how Egner's perspective began to change. His research started the process. Egner developed a theory of blood flow to the brain. He was surprised to find that the cranial system was like a delicately and ingeniously designed gadget. He observed a filter that protects the capillaries from the powerful force of the heartbeat. He says, It is a finely tuned mechanism analogous to vibration damping widely used in engineering. In fact, most of what I needed to know was not in biology textbooks, but in engineering textbooks. Of course, Engineering is all about design. It began to dawn on Egner that virtually all of his biological research operates on the presumption of design. Biologists, for instance, have a procedure called reverse engineering. It is as if you were working backwards to reproduce the engineer's thought process. All of us probably have used a semblance of that process to solve some of our own everyday problems. However, biology in the U.S. teaches that all of nature is the product of random and mindless process of natural selection. We are told, and Dawkins would have us believe, there is no engineer, there is no designer. But in Egnor's work as a medical researcher, he continued to run into the problem where his research contradicted his accepted belief in Darwinian evolution. He said, I was surprised at how little the Darwinian paradigm contributed to my work. By contrast, the design paradigm aligned nicely with the most important aspects of my research. What does one do when one's theory is contradicted by the facts? A person of real integrity will follow the truth. So Egnor did just that. He concluded that the reason living things appear and function as if they were designed is because, in fact, they are designed. Egner said, I came to see that Darwinianism is a philosophical bias more than a coherent science. Darwinian processes may explain some patterns and changes in gene frequency and populations, but the evidence does not even remotely support the claim that chance and necessity fully account for the appearance of complex design in living things. Consequently, Egner abandoned his belief in Darwinian evolution because he respected the evidence he had encountered in his research. 
The end result of this conversion of his thinking was he became a Christian. The fourth chapter in the book of The God Delusion is where Richard Dawkins gives his central argument that God almost certainly does not exist. He calls this argument the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit. It is his counter-argument to modern versions of the argument from design for the existence of God from the fine-tuning of the universe. Dawkins' use of the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit alludes to Fred Hoyle's famous argument against the probability of life happening on primordial Earth by spontaneous generation. According to Hoyle's analysis in The Intelligent Universe, the probability of cellular life arising from non-living matter was 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. Hoyle declares this probability is no greater than the probability that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard would assemble a Boeing 747 from the materials contained therein. Dawkins asserts that the argument from improbability properly deployed comes close to proving that God does not exist. Dawkins seems to use the ultimate Boeing 747 gambit and the argument from improbabilities interchangeably. Dawkins writes, However statistically improbable the entity you seek to explain by invoking a designer, the designer himself has got to be at least as improbable. God is the ultimate Boeing 747. The word statistically improbable occurs five times in his book, and I believe some things are statistically improbable. But Dawkins makes a leap to the conclusion that God has to be at least as improbable. In episode 61, I said, how does Dawkins use the improbability of life on earth to say that God almost certainly does not exist? Those two statements seem to be at cross purposes. He must have turned Hoyle's argument on its head, but how? I no longer think Dawkins is trying to turn Hoyle's argument on its head. I think his statement shows Dawkins misinterprets Hoyle's argument as denying the existence of God. Rather, it is reasonable to say Hoyle's probability calculation concludes that spontaneous generation of life does not occur. Rather than denying God's existence, Hoyle's argument denies one of evolution's basic tenets, namely spontaneous generation of life. In baseball parlance, Hoyle's argument is strike one against the Boeing 747 gambit. Dawkins uses the word complexity 40 times in the book. 
Dawkins is assuming that God is comparable in complexity to the universe without giving any evidence to support that assumption. In any argument without reasons given to support the premises, a conclusion is nothing more than an opinion. The philosopher Paul Little said, Believing something doesn't make it true. Refusing to believe it doesn't make it false. In Dawkins' mind, the complexity of God over that of the universe is the major reason for his assessment that God is improbable. If Dawkins is wrong in this assessment, then his Boeing 747 gambit fails. Of course, Dawkins' assessment did not pass by without the theist taking notice. That assessment evoked a reply from many theists who affirmed God is not complex, but he is instead a very simple being. Dawkins attempted to cope with such a response, so he said, A God capable of continuously monitoring and controlling the individual status of every particle in the universe cannot be simple. <laughs> but this response conflates the being of God or the mind of God with what God is thinking about. In a 2006 article in the New York Times, Jim Holt refutes Dawkins' assessment. Holt says God is, after all, infinite in every respect and is much easier to define than a finite thing. <clears throat> Alistair McGrath writes, The issue then is not whether God is probable or improbable, but whether he is actual. Dawkins does not claim to disprove God with absolute certainty. Instead, he suggests a general principle that simple explanations are preferable. He prefers to apply Occam's razor, a principle of logic widely accepted in science which recommends that when there are multiple possible explanations for something, we choose the one that requires the fewest assumptions. That is, we choose the simpler explanation. But what if there were some explanations that were greater in scope and power? Dawkins says that an omniscient or omnipotent God must be extremely complex. As such, he argues that the theory of a universe without a God is preferable to a theory of a universe with a God. My response is, preferable to whom? And why? Arguments are not concerned with personal preferences, but about supporting evidence for the premises. I will discuss Dawkins' central argument in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. 
If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.